I'm unapologetically fly. I don't wonder why, that's just my attitude. Yeah. Okay, hey, that's just my. Uh, 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 come on. Hi guys, welcome to Glitch in the Code here on Iconic.com. I'm here with my old friend. He's not old, he's my, he's my friend that I've known for a while. <laughs> he's not that old. He's two years older than me, not that old. I can't really call you my old friend. Apologies, that's a great intro. But um, Richard Grannon, how are you doing? I don't think we've spoke on podcast-wise for maybe eight or nine months. Might have been a year. It's, it's definitely been a while, mate. Um, yeah, I'm good, generally speaking. Good. Life is good. Um you know, just sailing along in my little boat and watching civilization pull itself apart. <laughs> when this all kicked off, me and you were in Derby, weren't we? And we were filming yes. a thing called Our Complex, which is on Iconic.com, yes. which we'll be recording another one of, I believe, in the future. Um, and we were in the hotel, weren't we? I think we did some sort of podcast there. And We did, it, we did a YouTube live. I have it somewhere. I don't know which channel it's on. And yeah. it's fascinating to look back. I think it's part of the a film that I made um, at the time called Plan F- um, Prime for Planet. Mm. And it was weird, wasn't it? We were in that hotel and it was like the start of the zombie apocalypse. We were yep. looking outside and that hotel didn't help, to be fair. Well, it Derby was... didn't fucking help, to be honest. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Derby. <laughs> That's true. That is really true, to be honest. Yeah, it was no different. <laughs> it was just odd, but it's yeah, you're right. It's an odd place anyway. But yeah. and especially where that hotel is, guys. I don't stay in the poshest hotels. I'm a bit of a penny pincher. So this was like in a, in an area where um the near the place right in the corner is, is a um is a massage parlor. Put it that way. <laughs> um and uh, yeah, so it's that sort of area, and um and it was like the zombie apocalypse. It was although there were a lot of drugged out prostitutes on the street anyway. These ones seem yeah. particularly sad that day. <laughs> yeah, in a very, very sad sort of part of the UK uh, anyway. And, and yeah, there's, there's, there's this particular area of Derby in this very old-fashioned uh, English hotel. And then I think we just set up a camera. We just sat on your bed and just started talking about how this was the beginning of the end. <laughs> and, it, and it was, though. And it really was the beginning of a, a end wasn't it? And what have you been like, like, how has it been for you the last two years? Because obviously I keep up and watch all your videos and I know you've got to a point maybe a few months back where you were saying you wanted to stop doing what the the Spartan Life Coach, I believe you shut down your website, you stopped doing a lot of the stuff, although you're still speaking about narcissism. What happened in them two years that really got you to that point to kind of stop? Because we've known each other six years now and I, and I think, yeah, like, I never saw you kind of coming to an end with that stuff, although I always knew you wanted to do other things. Um, It's a a really, really big question. It's a good question. Um, It's not that I have a problem with talking about narcissism as such or or borderline personality disorder or any of that. It's a fascinating subject. It's that I was and am being instrumentalised by people who don't have the most sincere intentions. And when I saw how quickly this utterly absurd, patently false narrative gathered pace, was militarized and then was enforced aggressively by people, I started to become aware that, wow, you know, we really shouldn't play with narratives. This isn't a game. 
I shouldn't let people get away with stuff that they're getting away with. So on the one hand, you've got like a YouTube channel on narcissism, ostensibly helping people recover from CPTSD and narcissistic abuse. And for some people, it is that. But for many, many, many people, it's just a hobby. It's just an identity. They're the victim of narcissistic abuse. They're an empath. They're this, they're that. They have CPTSD and so on. And it's just, it's just not true. Um, and that indulgence in people's fantasy, unchallenged, is part of the greater collective psychosis that, that we've struggled through. Because it's not, it's not the threat itself. We are not now the victims of, of narcissistic abuse per se. What we're the victims of is the permission to allow narcissistic abuse to take place if you like that metaphor. Governments around the world have always sought more power. They're always going to try and profit from crises. They're always going to try and steal your civil liberties. They don't, no government, no body says to itself, oh, I'll shrink now. That just doesn't happen. The problem we are facing, the, pan, the, the sort of pandemic level problem we face is mass psychosis, uh, critical levels of, of emotional immaturity and delusion. And I think I've been feeding that by permitting people to get away with it on on that Spartan Life Coach channel, so so that's why that project, as it was, is is now over. It was, it was over last year. It must be hard for you to come to that decision as well. I mean, I know that that you always kind of wanted to talk about other things, but that's your kind of main calling. I mean, you've got three hundred odd uh, subscribers on that channel. That's not a small chunk. I mean, you're known for for this thing as well. What was the frustration? I mean, I know you talked about having a breakdown in the last couple of years. I mean, I don't know what that entails or what that meant. And I mean, when I read the title of it, of the video, and I hadn't looked at your videos for a little while, although we keep touch on, on WhatsApp, I was shocked to see that because I had no idea that you went through anything like that in the last couple of years. Was that due to all of this or was it? I mean, what happened there? If you don't want to speak yeah, about it. Was, it was, I'm happy to talk about it. It was, it was, the only thing is that it's making it concise um, is difficult. It was, it, so, so concisely put, you either care about truth or you don't. There's no, many things are on a spectrum. Very few things in life are binary. This is binary. There's no place for truth where there's falsehood and there's no falsehood uh, where there is pure truth. And they don't, they don't mix. They, ju they just don't mix. So that exists conceptually and philosophically. And so it is with your life. So I was trying to live as truthfully as I could. So I was like, I know that there's people on this channel who are, in fact, fragile narcissists who use my material to justify their horrible lifestyles and the fact that they're abusive to other people and so on and so forth. But my intention is pure and, and I'm reaching people who genuinely are the victims of narcissist abuse. And so it's OK. Then is this weight of Karenish, tattletale, spy on your neighbor and dob your neighbor in it mentality grew in, in those two years. We had the lunacy of the BLM riots and not just those riots, but the way it was either handled or not handled. And I was like, this is just some next level hypocrisy. This is nonsense. People being beaten up in the street in America for refusing to kneel for an openly communist organization backed by mainstream media in what did they keep saying in the American news? M mostly, mostly peaceful demonstrations, not violent riots. 
And I, I just thought, okay, you, you know, Richard, you, you, you got to do, you got to do better because where we let in little bits and pieces of compromise, um, in, in your personal life and your professional life, wherever the cost is, is great with time. So small compromise plus time. It's like a golf swing, isn't it? If you get your golf swing slightly off as you're teeing, just a few inches off, by the time it's gone down the fairway, it's off, it's off into the, into the, into the tree. So I was like, no, I can't, I can't do this. And the break for me, I think was the cognitive dissonance between being pulled in two directions. And I don't, I, I don't care what money people offer me. I don't want to live with the experience of saying things that I think are not quite true or helping people to be assholes. I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm going back to door work, mate. I'm going to go and stand on nightclubs and do nightclub security again, just to sort of show to myself that like, I don't, I don't care about the money. You can't pay me to do that. I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel good in my body and, and live my life properly. And that's what gave me the breakdown was the, 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 the tearing, the opposing forces. And that seemed to happen, was that over a long period of time, I think? Like, was that something that you kind of only recognised towards the end or was that something that you kind of had an eye on from the start that this was happening, that a lot of people that were coming to you, I mean, I've been at your seminars and I've been there and you can see that some people are unwell in the, yeah. in, in the audience and they're not there yeah. to get help. They're there to be seen maybe or be, to get near you mostly. It almost feels get, like they get, near, get near me and be seen by the audience there. You've seen them do it. Richard, hmm. I have a question, and then they engage in like a three-minute statement yeah. telling their story of who they are because they think every everybody in the room should be as fascinated as they are by their own story. And that it, it's everywhere. It's the I care about issues of social justice. I really do. I'm an inclusive person. I don't like bullying. I don't like sexism. I don't like racism. I don't like punishing people for traits that they don't have, including being white and being male. I just, if it, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. We just shouldn't do that as, as reasonable human beings. You shouldn't be punished for being black. You shouldn't be punished for being female. Your immutable traits should not be a feature of how people treat you. But with this social justice warrior woke movement, it correlates with this, I, I say it again, this Karenish, soft, yet aggressive, mm. narcissistic, I demand everybody account for my pain, but I'm going to be brutally rude and bullying and dominant with the people around me. I think it just correlates with what we see with this woke movement, with this SJW warrior style movement. And people like me have contributed to that because we've psychologized the narrative and psychologizing narratives renders everybody a victim. And so it, it literally just started to make me sick. Now, yeah, I did see it coming. I knew in 2016, if I didn't get out, I was going to go mad, but I ran with it for a while. I set up a philosophy channel and I started gently pulling away, but the way I was behaving professionally was affecting the way I was behaving personally. I was making too many personal compromises. I was behaving codependently in my personal life with people in the most absurd ways. This only happened a year ago. And I look back on the things I was doing a year ago and I was like, why would you do that? That's insane to do that. And eventually I just broke the, the, uh, the pressure just, just got to me and everything happened at the same time. And I realized that if I didn't take control of my life and start moving it in the right direction, 
it wouldn't be that I would just drift along and nothing would happen, but I'd get smashed on the rocks. And that's my, that's my life philosophy now is like, you can't just drift, you'll get smashed. You have to actively fight to redirect your vehicle, your, your, your ship, your vessel every day and point it aggressively in the direction you want it to go. Because we're in changing waters right now. Mm. Is that one reason why you're, you're stepping out and going back to, to stuff that you did before? Do you feel like you need to get out of the stream? completely for a bit because you yeah. know, there's, there's too much there's too much uh of a flow of a water flow behind you too much for power too much for stream mm. behind you you've got 319,000 people <laughs> watching your video channel do you feel like if you don't get out you can't really do you know what I mean like step side left and right you need to get out of the water to even just stand back and go what the fuck for a little bit because that's quite extreme to just go from not what you're doing to back to what you were doing before that's like i didn't see that coming from someone like yourself so do you feel like you just need to get out completely for a little while and then have a look i want to get back to the real world i want my problems to be immediate again it's 10 okay. pounds an hour still so it's i'm still i'll still be earning what i earned when i was 22 it doesn't account for inflation they're still paying dormant 10 pounds an hour but when I have a problem doing that job, the problem is immediate. It's not um, like, I don't know, there's a goal fighting with another goal half a meter in front of me and I have to stop them. Um, it's not symbolic. It's not political. It's not, there's, there's very little signaling in it. There's very little symbolic gestures in it. There's very little reaction seeking in it. And it's immediate. The online world is fucking poisonous. I mean, we made this point multiple times in the documentary plugged in and with subsequent interviews with Sam Backman as well. It's not a pH neutral space at this point. It just isn't. It just isn't. It's infected with consumer capitalism and we are all being provoked into doing things that we don't really want to do. Absolutely. I, I can see that. And it's, it's really difficult because everyone's been pushed into it, especially with all this stuff. We're all being bunged online and we're chatting and we, there's so much we talk everything podcasting is everyone's got a podcast obviously when we started doing this it wasn't as popular as what it is now and there's nothing wrong with that so you're saying this this documentary this truth behind um the the narcissism expert which is great by ellie sandor i believe her name is and it's a fantastic little piece of uh, film i really really enjoyed it and um, you're saying that 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 film that the stuff that i've never heard you talk about not even personally um off screen i think you you say that she asks who you are and you, you talk about not even being a person not being even in the room and not being present and also being an avatar of a person and this is something i can kind of and i think many people to a certain levels can can uh, connect with in a way or disconnect with i have it because obviously i had a lot of problems with eating as a child and and i, I did problems with so sometimes i feel distant because i haven't got the food in me but i think a lot of it obviously from trauma is placed in the background can you explain what you mean to be like, you're not even a person and you're not really in the room, but you're coming back. We'll get to that bit later. What do you mean by that? How does that actually feel for you? Do you feel like you're just watching a film? You're playing a part, playing a character? Um, well, I was in Ibiza last year when, when I had like a, a good, strong, juicy, um, psychotic breakdown. What was the movie by Francis Ford Coppola that gave him a heart attack because it went over budget? Oh, I don't know. He had uh, a breakdown on that. Apocalypse Now. Okay. And uh, the character of uh, one of the guys who has to go and find Marlon Brando in the jungle, he 
has an alcohol binge and he has a breakdown. That's what I was doing. I was going absolutely mental. And then after that, I was like, well, okay, I obviously need help. Um, and I was seeing three psychotherapists four or five times a week. I was like, I really, really need help. And through that, and I just gave them everything. I told them everything, 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 stuff that I'd never told anybody before because I didn't know what the source of my problem was, but I knew I had one. And I was like, well, if I don't show them the totality of the engine, how are they going to be able to assess where the damage is? So that was the first time really, what's that, September of last year. It's only really six, seven months ago that I've started acknowledging my experience, including childhood sexual abuse with other people. These were all men. I was acknowledging it with men um, and trying to work through it. And that got me to a place where I was like, okay, well, I'm obviously, I'm not well. I'm not, I'm not well. How am I not well? Part of it is a sort of a disassociative identity. I think it's, it's a kind of codependency. Um, I'm actually supposed to be finishing a book on that right now, but procrastinating. Um, it's, it's what I'm calling, some, I'm calling it echo codependency, where we essentially delete our own identities in order to cope with trauma. It's like the opposite of a narcissist. It's the mirror image of a, of a narcissist, the mirror image model of a narcissist. The narcissist is the ultimate predator, um, top of the food chain, you better fear them. But the echo codependent is the bottom of the food chain. There's no need to fear them. We're the lowest of the low, so please don't attack me. They're still defensive measures. One is extremely fight and one is extremely fawn. It seemed like a, like a, like a, well, like a pseudo-suicide. Like a yeah, essentially, essentially, you live your life as an ongoing uh, suicide, literally a suicide because I think it's Latin. Inside is kill, sui is uh, is one or self. So yeah, it's a self kill. You're constantly killing yourself, and any semblance of an authentic self that shows up, you'll kill it. You'll delete it and hide it because it's dangerous to be the self. So then you live as. Um, you live as a scarecrow, you live as, a, as an avatar of a person, one that you create carefully, probably during childhood trauma, to try, basically, it's, it's, a, def it's a defensive character. It's to, it's to repel attack or to repel sexual desire, in my case. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that for a lot of my life I was trying really hard a child part of me was trying really hard not to be sexually attractive because that's how I got hurt. The child part of me didn't even really know what sexually attractive meant, but it was sort of doing it in its, in its own way, trying to invisibilize me. And then I'd have issues with members of the opposite sex as an adult. I like girls. And so I would be, and, and there'd be all these issues that would come up and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it was. But if you've been targeted because predator adult pedophiles find you attractive of course a part of you is going to come to the conclusion a this is my fault and b part of the problem is i attracted them it's i'm not i'm not saying i believe that mm -hmm. i'm saying that the yeah, yeah, yeah. the crazy neurotic uh, uh traumatized thinking comes to that conclusion that's just one one really sad to hear uh, here but it's by blaming yourself 
is that kind of an element of okay if i blame myself at least i'm in control of something i can control a reason i can control a, and part of this narrative you know what i mean i can target myself mm-hmm. at least or, or or i can get to me before they do or hurt me more before before you hurt me I kind of can connect with that before. I almost a self-destructive sort of element of you're not going to get to me because I will get to me before you do. Mm, I think so. I think I think that's um, that's a very very big part of it. It's a way of retaking back control, re-internalizing the locus of control. Um, and I think also as a child we just don't have proper boundaries. So it's not if you're young enough when it happens, you can't conceptualize this separate adult is doing this to me you what your conceptualization becomes is this is happening and i'm everything so um i'm sexually abusing me or i'm sexually abusing a child i'm the adult that's sexually abusing the child it's not so literal it, it's um it's it's pri- it's primitive thinking because in psychoanalytic terms the boundaries between the subject the self when you're a child and the object of the people is, is so poor and so porous that there, there's barely any distinction. So it means if you see your mom beating your dad, you're the father beating the mother, you're the mother being beaten, and you're also the house in which the beating takes place. So it becomes a, a sort of, in a toxic way, a psychedelic experience. So trauma is psychedelic because it starts to melt reality and the boundaries of reality. And depending on how much trauma you experienced as a kid will directly correlate with how hard you find it to get your shit together as an adult because reality's warped and enmeshed and it softens and then it bleeds through and then it cools and it starts to reform in new weird shapes and patterns in places that it shouldn't, you know. That's when people get turned on by shoes or buttons or whatever the fuck. It's because t- typically, this is psychoanalytic theory, not everybody agrees with that. The trauma melts the original connection, the original desire. Um, in the heat of the trauma, it goes somewhere else. And then when it cools, it's reformed. And you're like, oh, I really love tables now. Which is just like, yeah. When we all love tables or, or inanimate objects, I get it. Well, someone married a wall once, I think. So um, <laughs> if I remember someone married a wall, so they were probably. I remember as a kid myself. Obviously, I went through something not 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 sexual abuse, but I went through. There was a lot of abuse going on in the house um, yeah. between the parents. I had moments where I sat, stood, in, I don't know if you ever did this, and I, I want to get back to what the avatar and the distancing and pulling yourself away. I used to stand mm. in the corner of the room and feel, watch the room expand. I remember doing it as if I was almost floating out of the room, but I would distance mm. myself from everything. But I'd be right, right in the corner of the room and I never really understood why I did it. And I'm only starting to understand why I used to do this. Did you ever have an experience like that where you just stand away, but the whole world used to shift away from you and it was almost like you had floated out of your body? From, yes. But it was a protective thing. You would hide in the corner of the room. I don't know if you had ever had an experience like that. It's, it's just something that really brings comes to mind every time when you talk about that. It's... It's an odd feeling. It's a literally like a distance, a distance feeling from the world. You disconnect. And it's almost like as an adult, you haven't fully come back from doing that sometimes. It's, um, 
it's a primal animal response to threat and to trauma. So we know if you pull a zebra by the nose, if you want them to calm down, if you tug them on the nose, they calm down. They figured out the reason why the zebra calms down when you tug its nostrils downward is um, an evolved, an evolutionary response. Because when a cheetah grabs the zebra by the nose to pull it down to eat it, the brain knows it's about to be eaten from the asshole out. So it releases a ton of endorphins and serotonin. Similarly, in order to cope with pain, we dissociate, we depersonalize and we derealize so that you're not really there because there's no point. Like if, if your body and your brain is like, we're screwed now, we're going to die. It would be needlessly cruel to be like, let's really associate and just live this horrible moment of being alive. You start to switch off. You, yeah. just, you start you just tune it out because like, well, you, you're dead anyway. That It's not like a moment of rage where you need to be focused in the middle of a hunt so that you beat the tiger and you take the, there's no need now. Your, your, your body and your brain goes, oh, we're dead. Fuck it. Let's just switch off and die. And that's, so you've experienced then by that, the little death, the small death, uh, derealization, depersonalization, dissociation. And that experience, I know exactly what you're talking about. You, you, I think, you can go inside yourself so deeply and you start to shrink and the world seems to just get larger and larger. you're just standing in a living room, but if yeah. you cut the living room or the bedroom becomes as wide and as open as a broad desert, that's endless. You'll never reach the wall because the wall is a, an illusion a hundred miles that way over the horizon. And that's, that's, that's an intense trauma response. Yeah. I wonder what that was. I mean, I used to do it quite a lot. And, I, and, I, and when you speak about these things, that's what comes to mind. And I wonder if that's kind of connected now to bring this up to date it's got, with this metaverse and what they're trying to do to kids now with these masks and everything. They're traumatising them, clearly traumatising them, but then saying, go and live in the metaverse. I feel like we're being, they're being set up. They're being, as predators, technocracy type predators after these kids and these kids are going to get plugged into this metaverse and they're going to create their version of what we're talking about that we used to do we used to as you say i'm not really here um you said um yeah, i'm not even a person that seems to be done to them but in a different kind of way using technology and then offering them a alternative way of communicating with each other which is which is disassociation it's just through technology yeah, we, we can coin a term here on your on your podcast now. We'll call it trauma for profit. This is trauma for profit. Um, and yeah, it's, it's absolutely deliberate. And the, the end goal of the technocrats now is to make normal waking life on earth so horrifying, so frightening, so depressing, so loveless, so sexless, so joyless, that people will beg on their knees to be locked into a matrix pod. And we saw this was coming years ago. Moon used to joke about this. It's coming, but it's here. And it's 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 never quite as you seem it to be, although they do have death pods, I think, in Europe somewhere, or, or <laughs> suicide pods, which is amazing. This planet is fucking weird. What are we doing here? Suicide pods. What the fuck? Um, but the metaverse, I mean, it looks tech looks ridiculous. But that seems to be like their version for the kids to plug into. Do you think social media and what's been going on now, you've seen it from a psychological point. We may plugged in, I mean, how many years ago now? Four years ago. That was at the sort of start, mid midpoint of this, um, mm. before all of this stuff. They Now they seem primed for the picking with this. Everyone 
all kids they have their version of themselves that they don't really know because they haven't formed it so before they've formed their online personality so their online persona is is fully formed before they are um and that's where they well, that's a now. that's a very interesting way of putting it if i just interrupt you there that um the online persona is better developed than the actual persona and develops to maturity way before the actual persona does that's a very interesting uh, observation actually well let's, let's go with that because i mean let's let's, let's extrapolate that out i used a big word um so Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. i like it i like that <laughs> I, I, said, I said extrapolate i don't know what it means but i know when's to use it you see oh, <laughs> i think it's got to do with strap-ons but let's have a look <laughs> extrapolate draw, the strap -on. <laughs> do me a drawing um <laughs> but let's just let's just talk about that then so that's that does seem that way that that in a way they are their old online persona is always going to be a lot more lot more developed a lot more put into it than they are and that's only going to get worse when you're connected to the internet when you're completely on the internet they're emotionally stunted and some intellectually advanced which is what we used to say i think who said that intelligence without wisdom is is the most dangerous thing there's something along them lines it seems to be that kind of way a lot of information in there but i no understanding what of any of it means at all um like i feel like we're just creating kind of <laughs> zombies on the outside people kids on the internet that have fully developed their character online i don't know where this is heading where do you think this is heading in the next 20 years when we're about uh, yeah i've seen that quote um assigned to Einstein and um, to Schopenhauer, which means that whoever said the quote is probably neither. It's just the donkey <laughs> points. <laughs> like, that's Schopenhauer. That's, that's. Um, so I, I think, like, first thing to, to note is, uh, of course, adolescents and, and, and younger will choose whatever gives them the fastest gratification first. And technology provides a fake gratification um, and effectively gets them addicted to sugar or the sugar equivalent of validation. It's the sharpest stimulus, but lowest nutrient value way of getting that stimulation. I hope that metaphor, that slightly clumsy dietary metaphor makes sense. We're getting these kids addicted to sugar, psychologically speaking. And of course they are, because it's, it's instant gratification. The brain's going, oh my God, that's, that's wonderful. I can make a, I can look at my camera and when they're very young, I can have um, ears and a tongue like a dog. Wow, that's so cool, that's so funny. As they age and the hormone, the hormones change and they become more and more interested in being sexually active and being sexually attractive, they can look in their phones and their, their phones will literally make them prettier. Or there are filters that make their bodies look the way they want them to look. So imagine that child, imagine naively, you're that child, you were raised with a device in your hand. So it's part of you, like Elon Musk made the observation, we're effectively cyborgs mm. because we're already melded. It's just not strapped to us yet. It will be soon. Um, but we're already so used to having a device in our hands. Not you and me, but the digital natives, the kids, then you reach an age and you're just constantly used to seeing your own body changed to being altered. And then you start going online, everything is instant, it's games, it's sex, it's funny, it's cats falling off skateboards, it's everybody's funny online, everybody's 
stimulating online. Real life is like taking out the trash, doing dishes. Your mom wants you to do your homework. You're not as hot in real life. It's not as funny in real life. Real life is actually quite painful at times by comparison. So you've got sugar-addicted kids, psychological sugar-addicted kids. Of course, they're going to choose the online world over the real one because nobody's teaching them the, uh, the, the real validity and the blessings in the real world, which is, yeah, it does hurt but it's at times, but it's also the best place and the only place you're going to experience real joy. You're not going to experience real joy online. It's just not possible. I said this a while ago, and I still think this sounds true, is that the transhumanism, why everybody's looking, and there is an element of the technology to that, an element of DNA changing these vaccines and all of that stuff and microchips and in the body. But part, I feel like the biggest part of transhumanism is changing the, the way that people behave. They're transforming our behaviour and our understanding of who we are, what we are and where we are. The transhumanism part is changing us psychology psychology psychologically even that's what transhumanism so we no longer act human or have human traits or have human thought think emotions eventually because we can't access them it's too painful they don't mm. exist once once we get to the point where people don't really know what real love is they can perform love they can espouse love they can talk about love but once they can't feel it I feel like that's what transhumanism is trying to do. It's trying to, 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 to get rid of actual genuine anything. Might be there. We might be in a position. We just haven't done the testing yet, but we might be looking at a generation that can't feel love. That might be, that might show up looking like um, psychopaths or like they're on the autism spectrum because they are the muscle that should have grown that allowed them to feel intimacy, vulnerability, and genuine connection, all the things prerequisites for love, just never developed. And, and in its lack of development, it went into hypertrophy, sorry, uh, it went into atrophy, it shrank and then died. I feel Maybe. like that's, that, that's a, a good shout in a sense. I feel like that, that's mm. kind of, how can you learn love from your parents when you were never shown, when you never feel it, when it was never there and you're 20 generations down the line from where we are now? And it kind of almost gets filtered out of the human experience. I feel like that's what transhumanism is, really. Not so much the technology. I feel like this aiding it. The, the computers are aiding it. Online stuff's aiding it. Meta's aiding it. But the real goal is to stamp out human emotions from us understanding even what they are. Does that make sense? If, if, yeah, it does. And it totally makes sense to hammer home your point. If you and I and anybody watching were technocrats with a transhuman agenda, what would our enemy be? What would be one of the first things we need to get rid of? Anything that takes people's eyes off the screen. Love. Love is the enemy. Love is the enemy. Connection is the enemy. Authenticity is the enemy. Anything we can do to poison the well, to make love and connection and authenticity difficult, tiresome, confrontational, boring, traumatic, is a win. That's a win for us. And what they do online, if us all at home, like me and you, would lo I'd love to do this face-to-face -face in the room. So what they do is they wedge technology in between genuine and connection. They've wedged it in between, almost like the, uh, the solicitors, uh, almost like the, anyone who puts herself in between and make money out of something that really don't need to be there, they just cause a nuisance. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like that. They, mm -hmm. this, they wedge themselves in between genuine connection to, to split it. And that, that's what this 
I believe this is. And what I wanted to come back to is that when you were talking about not even being a person, not being connected, that mm. was through trauma. Do you think the trauma is going to happen so much that this, that is being done to kids, but just through technology, they're, they're being abused to the point where they can't no longer reconnect. They can't feel like they're in the world. Even if they didn't have the technology, they'd just go, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be or do here without this stuff. I think, I think it's partly a deliberate effort. It's definitely happening. Partly it's a deliberate effort to do that. And partly it's incidental. It's humanity's folly. When we put profit ahead of everything else, ultimately, of course, you're going to start hacking human weakness. Now, if you have broad scale, unfettered, massive corporations trying to put profit ahead of anything else and with an almost unlimited budget, hacking human weaknesses across the globe in a desperate battle for dominance in which we, are, we aren't the enemy. We're the ammunition. We're not the enemy. We're the battleground. We're not the enemy. We're the crop that they're fighting over. We, we, we don't even exist as a player in that war. We're, we're like the, the background to it. We're an essential part of it, but we aren't a thing. We are, we are an object in that, in that war. Then, yeah, absolutely, this, is, this would happen anyway. There's a deliberate effort to break people. There's a deliberate effort to traumatize kids. And also this peculiar particular brand of uh, consumer and corporate capitalism that we live under inevitably traumatizes people, inevitably tears personalities perceptions and attachments to shreds because it has to hack human weakness to coerce behavior to coerce and control behavior we are the most manipulated generation in human history at this point as you say there we are we are an object to them these are psychopaths and you know better than most what this psychology is these psychopaths do you think there's a there at a point where, like you said, as a child, you start to blame yourself. We will become objects just because we will be, we'll feel like that's what we are. We were been trained to be objects. We are objects. That's what transhumanism will become. So in the, in defense of them abusing us from the top down, we just become mm. crop. We just become objects because that's what we believe we were always were. Um, and that's where I think transhumanism is. It's, it's stamping out the humanity and, us and whether we do it to ourselves through through self def just defense we we just see ourselves as something less than so we can't get hurt so what you were talking about earlier you kind of said you started to blame yourself and started to see yourself as, as, as the abuser we will see ourselves as nothing because it's easier that way you can't get hurt if we're nothing to lose there's nothing to lose because we are nothing would we get to that we... point or they want us to get to that point mm. Mm. So, yeah I, I do think so I think if I would give a date um, I, would, I would say we crossed that Rubicon 10 years ago in 2012 and from that point onwards the escalation in willingness for people to serve themselves up as objects and as product, pro products to be consumed online um, went through a massive uptick People were cautious before that date and the caution really, really dropped away in 2012 and after. So absolutely, we've become comfortable with the idea of objectifying ourselves. It's part of self-blame. 
It's part of reclaiming the locus of control of your own abuse, as you rightly said. And I think there's another element to it, which is we're covertly a party to our own abuse. So you can't really consent to that because you're not, you're not told that's what's going to happen. It just happens. And whilst you're having a party and you're having a nice time and you're feeling good, in lots of small unconscious ways, you realize you're being exploited. So you can either stop and have your moment of despair, in which case the party's over and you can never enjoy it ever again. Or you can look around at you and go, well, everybody else is pretending to have a good time. Everybody else is, is going for this party. I don't want to be left behind. And then you keep going every day, every hour, every year that passes, that you keep going as a party to your own abuse in this party. Uh, you, you are you're jointly responsible in it. There's nobody to blame. You, you wake up from that. Who are you going to blame? At the end of the day, you have your fantasy action movie scene where you take the heads of the technocracies of which who, like how, who are you going to do that to? Who, which people? Let's say there's five and there's five bad guys and you stick them in a room in handcuffs and then your hero says, right, now's the moment we're going to have vengeance on you. They're just going to say, for what? For what? We didn't put a gun to your heads. We didn't tell you to do this. We invited you. We offered you the chance. Nobody came to your house and said, sign up to Facebook. Nobody said you have to post pictures of your astics on Instagram or else. You willingly did it. Punish us, sure, but it's murder. Like we've done, we haven't done what you're accusing us of. It's a very, very strange and unique uh, challenge that we face right now. It's 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 unprecedented historically, and there's I don't really feel uh, that that blaming people is going to be the way out. I'm not saying we should let people get off scot-free, but I don't, I don't think our emancipation, the emancipation of humanity and the elevation of, of human consciousness is going to come through finding the per perpetrators and bringing them to justice because we also are the perpetrators. What are we going to do? Are we going to spank ourselves, maybe? It's... <laughs> It is, you're totally right. It's 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 the, we're party to our own self abuse. But they it, like the vampire, they have kind of knocked on the door, told you they who they were, and you've invited them in. And we've used these things, we've used this technology, knowing full well what it's doing to us. And and although they're party to actually opening the door for us, we've walked through. That kind of empowering in a way because that shows us that we were comp we did it to ourselves, so we can undo it. What made you as someone who went for abuse? Yeah, when you're young to want to not go down that path of just kind of carrying on and, and being going along with it you've changed and you've tried to change and better yourself and help other people and and teach people about self-defense physically and emotionally um psychologically why did you not go down that path what 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 do you think it was about yourself and others that don't as well why do some people go this way and some people just go down that way i went down down that way for a for a while and started to turn back with what I think most people do for a little while, especially in their twenties and night like teens, if they've been a, through a Bruce. But why did you? Why do people like yourself not go all that way? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, it just never it it never seemed like an option to me. And also, I thought I'd be more miserable if I did that. I'm doing like what I do. What I do partly selfishly. Like I'm pretty sure this is what's going to make me feel. I couldn't become better and passive because I'm too aware and then I'd watch myself being bitter and passive and I'd feel ashamed. 
<laughs> so I have to do something. I have to try and live a story, you know, uh, of some sort of like noble resistance or, or uh, without wanting to sound like without being pompous, without, you know, trying to do something profound. Patrice O'Neill said this, he wanted to do something profound, but without being profound about it. So still keeping it lighthearted and good humoured and making people laugh, but actually also through doing that, teaching them the right way to rebel, the right way to push back against things that, that, that don't make sense. And it's, um, I don't think it's particularly lofty for me. I think it's more like, there's parts of me that I'm pretty sure are on the spectrum. I see it as an interesting puzzle. And I think it's more interesting to play the game this way than not. So yeah, back to the autism psychopathy thing. I think I have a little bit of that in me. I'm not a big fan of humanity. I'm not like, oh, I'm doing this because all the people are wonderful. No, they're not. Most people are junk. <laughs> they're fucking junk. <laughs> I have no time for them whatsoever. I'm not, um, you know, I I'm compassionate in theory. This is what Dostoevsky wrote about in The Brothers Karamazov. Uh, he put it in the, in the mouths of a character, but I think he was talking about himself. He said that as he aged and became more religious, he became more compassionate in theory, but way less patient in actuality <laughs> because he just finds people annoying. So why do I do it? I, somewhere between nature and nurture, I like, I like it. I'm doing it because because I like it. There's also a bit of narcissism in there. You know, this is my grandiosity. I can do it. I'm special. Not everybody can do what I do. I can solve this particular type of, well, I can offer some solutions to this particular type of puzzle. I get recognition for that. I get validation for that. Um, my life's written in a, in a sort of a grandiose self, self-pleasuring narrative in that way. And then there's other elements of it where I have to just like confessing, oh, actually some of it's really sucked and I've made a ton of fucking sacrifices. And that was on principle. That actually was on, on uh, along ethical lines because I don't like to see people suffer needlessly. And you say like you, you've kind of made a lot of personal sacrifices. I mean, would you like to have family and kids and, and, and stuff? Was that something that you just kind of think it's not going to happen for me? Or, I mean, you're, per you're, you're choosing not to, I mean, in, from what I understand of yourself, it's not sort of if you haven't got enough offers, you're choosing to live a certain life in a certain way. Do you know what I mean? So it's offers, kind of like a choice. Offers for men know. mainly. I don't know how. I can <laughs> but you can adopt. You can adopt. Could always adopt. Yeah, yeah, you can adopt. But I mean, like even not even like the family, but you you move around a lot. You you're here, you're there. Mm. You change a lot as well. Do you need to keep moving? Is it something you're always going to have to do? Do you think you, there's a point where you'll stop? But would would you just have the urge to keep moving? around a lot um what is it <laughs> is it is it kind of uh is it kind of something that you just feel like you need to do is just to sort of travel a lot and see new things and meet new people um because it just interests me because it's just it is i would find it exhausting going somewhere every three months i, I don't know but i find you it just, fascinating as you well. just, i wish it was three months yeah <laughs> three weeks at the moment um <laughs> I, I am, I don't really know how to answer the question. I suppose like I am wary of, of contentment um, because there is stuff to be done here. This is a pretty important moment in, in human development. Um, do I want a family and kids? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I'm reminded, I was joking with Pierre about this recently, like when 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've lived, I'm sure everybody's lived this. Say you're not in a relationship and you're really horny and you think what you want is sex, but the reason why you think you want sex is because you're actually really, really lonely. But what comes to the forefront of your mind is the sharpest somatic craving and that that's for sex. And then you have sex. Maybe you meet with somebody and you have like a passionate relationship and you're having like an unusually high amount of sex and you satiate that sex drive and two things happen. One is you slide into a state of contentment where you become satiated and way, way less productive because you know we're such sexual beings like your whole body and brain is like you won dude you won the genetic life drive just you know go to sleep and then you'll you'll start putting on weight that's common for people to get into relationships and you'll you just won't be as productive and your mind isn't as sharp and the second thing is you start to figure out well many people start to figure out say oh i don't know that I was horny as much as I was lonely because also what you're getting is like the, the physical contact and the recognition somebody's listening to you, you have their company and, and that's, that's, that's really good as well. So there's two things that happen for me when I consider that is one, um, what would the contentment of that do? The contentment, the, the, the happiness of that. And I would, I would be, I'd be really happy. I would have, uh, I'd have a wife and I'd have children and I'd have, pets and the whole thing you know it would, be, it would be great i'd be way less productive i'd be way less useful and the second thing is i do crave that but i wonder if my craving for that is also because i need to connect with people and i need to do whatever it is i need to do slightly paranoid i don't want to freak people out but i don't know how bad this is going to get and if i don't have a wife and kids you can't really manipulate me you can't it's, it's really hard to leverage me. And if something heavy needed to be done, I could do it. I'd be like, well, I'm not, you know, like my grandparents are all dead. My, my parents are elderly. You know, I, th that thought is also, is also there as well. I don't know how bad this is going to get. I, I would want to see this really calm down significantly before, before I felt relaxed enough to, have a, uh, to get married and have kids. Yeah, I get that. I absolutely get that. Of course, it is. I mean, it makes completely, complete sense to me to do that. Um, so when you go, go, we've got about five minutes. When you go to do to step away from this, how mm. long do you think you'll be drawn back to it? How do you think you'll you'll feel once you're stepped away? And the initial kind of phase of being away from doing this stuff, or are you going to carry on doing what you're doing anyway? Oh, I I, I pulled away from my old working model. Um, at the end of November last year, so I'm no, I'm I don't work the, the way I used to. I haven't done for it's coming on four months now. There isn't there isn't a drawback um, to to that way of doing things. The subject of narcissism is, is 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 still interesting, and the subject of personality disorders is still interesting. I don't think it's critical. The one thing I'd always be drawn back to, um, and I see this in my personal life, is to teach. So I'm not a YouTube person. YouTube is incidental. I'm not a social media person. Social media is incidental. But I do have a drive in me to teach. And that's fulfilled when I go to dance classes. And, you know, there are beginners there and they need some help. I've been dancing for eight years now, so I can help them. And I go to martial arts classes again. And if there are new guys coming in, they've never sparred before. You've boxed before as well, right? And very little, but I'd love to learn. I need. To, there's something I really, really wish I'd done. I really oh, wish I'd done. 
it's it's uh, it's so much fun and it, it, it keeps you so fit. Um, just dumb stuff like uh, I'm working with a guy. Uh, he's really gangly and he's got long limbs and I'm short and compact and he's sparring with me and I'm tagging him. And then you say to him like, you know, you need to cover up and you need to like cover your body. You've got long limbs. You should use your jab. And I'm satiated by that. I don't get paid for it. It's not my class, but I'm satisfied by that. I'm like, oh yeah, they're good. That did something for me. Good. Yeah. And then he boxes better. And I look at him box and I go, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's a bit of payment. I can't, I can't pay my rent with that, but I don't feel like I'm going to have a fucking nervous breakdown. <laughs> but what you're saying there, like you were doing that one-to-one in person. That's yeah. different from doing online videos and watch, looking at the comments and thinking you might some help some people or even a seminar when your people are in, in, in the audience watching. It's not one to one. That's one to one. Is that what you kind of feel like you're missing? It's one to one with people who don't fucking know me and they don't care. These are these are young people who want to learn how to dance. They've never heard of me. They've never been in an artistically abusive relationship. Most of them are under the age of 30. And in the martial arts world, the older lads who've been through divorces, if they're 40 and up, some of them know me, but the young students, I've got a fucking clue who I am. It's hard being known by people. Mm. It's really tough. Like even in the seminars, like people said to me, why don't you do ongoing seminars, like a 10 week ongoing seminar so you can do breakout groups and you can work with people and you can see them progress. And I'm like, because in a certain sense, I'm, in, in my own small Z-list way, in that field, I'm actually legitimately famous in that field. Mm. And so I have legitimate fans. And it's, it's, it's fucking hard, man. It's really hard talking to somebody and they want something from you. And it's in their eyes. That, ah, ah, you, ah, ah, and it's like, Jesus Christ, could you chill the fuck out? Like, <laughs> you're yeah. making me anxious. I think some people think that I have the answer, that I have the key, that if I'm just going to say some magic words, like I'm, I'm John D, the alchemist, I'm going to say the magic words in an ancient angelic tongue, and it's going to go in their ear, and then they'll be enlightened, and life is going to be amazing for them. And I, I, I can't do that. I feel mauled by people um, in, that, in that context, as, as everybody does. Anybody who's got any kind of – you could be like an amazing tennis player or something. Or, or even a not amazing tennis player, just a famous tennis player, and you'll feel mauled by people because you feel the want, you feel the the aching need. They want something from you. They're not giving. They're they're trying to take. They're trying to pull, and it's it's really unpleasant. Some kid who's never seen me before, who I can show how to throw a left hook, he's like, oh, he's just some fella who met a boxing, and now I can throw a ook like this, and I'm happy about that. That's an even exchange, and I, I feel good about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. So you're going back to, you're going out of the, the world you went into. You, you created this Spartan life coach avatar. That's who mm. you are. Richard Grand and Spartan life coach. That's who they want. A bit of mm. Michael Jackson played the scarecrow in the, in the um, African-American version of The Wiz. And the reason why I wanted to play it, play it because he felt like he was a scarecrow and then people pulled him apart all his life. Always at him as a kid, always at him as a teenager, always wanted to grab at him, wanted something from him. And he felt like he was being pulled apart like the scarecrow and he always um kind of connected with that character of the scarecrow that he was pulled apart I, I didn't know, i didn't know that about michael jackson in the uh, in the black version of the wizard of oz when i was in serbia recently 
I said that the Echo codependent creates an avatar of themselves and it's a scarecrow. And I made them tell me the Serbian word for scarecrow. It's Strasilo. So Michael Jackson felt like a Strasilo, did he? He did. And that's why he wanted to play the character. And that's what you came to mind when you were describing that, that they pick apart and they pick apart that character. And where you've gone back to now is you're just Richard who goes one to one with these people and you can teach them something. And and um, that just shows. And I think that's a nice way of wrapping it up is that that what we were talking at the start, this avatar that's been created, a character for yourself and then you. And you've got two things going on here. That split that you talked about, the fetish is split. It's a split. It's a split. And if you watch the comments here, or you watch the comments now on my YouTube channel from a certain, it's women mainly, like it's women of a certain age and a certain class. They're fucking furious with me. And you'll get the comments here. You'll get, you'll get them after this video. The fact that I don't want to service their needs to a nicety. The same women who've been telling me off for swearing on my videos. I'm like, do you know where I'm from? Do you know who I actually fucking am? I used to punch people's faces in every night, six nights a week in Tenerife for enough money to get drunk and snort cocaine afterwards. And you're bothered that I say the F word occasionally. Do you know who I am? And now that I want to leave that, they're besides themselves with fury. These are the people I don't want to serve. I don't want to serve these angry, entitled, first world privileged, middle-class Karens. I don't, I don't want that energy anywhere near me. And I want to have the ability to tell them to go fuck themselves as I would in real life. Because if you came up, somebody stalked me here, a woman like that, here where I'm living right now. And I, I saw her in the street and she was stalking me. And I told her, get the fuck away from me. Don't ever come near me ever again. Get the fuck away from me. That's who I really am. I don't pander to people. Mm. <laughs> what the f- Do you think I some fucking nutcase figures out where I am because of the pictures I'm posting on Instagram, geolocates me, and then shows up outside my house? I'm like, God, I spent 15 years in the security industry. Don't think I won't smack you in your fucking head. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I want to be me. I want to be me. Yeah. I want to be real. And I can't, I can't let this. It's it's too restrictive. Well, I mean, it's good to see you going back to that stuff. And, I, and I'm sure we'll do stuff in the future, but it is it's a fascinating like story in itself. I know you're writing a bio, autobiography at the moment, and I'm, I genuinely am really looking forward to reading that way. Whenever we see it. I, I, I wrote it, I wrote it last year and, and submitted it in September. The editors message me every other day. They're like, you need to check the editorial changes. I'm like, that. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's done, mate. It's uh, They're all waiting on me now. <laughs> I was going to say, I really want to read it. I, I really genuinely Thanks. do. So when that's out, we'll um, we'll chat. And I'd like to do something with you. Richard, thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. You know, I do. Um, and I appreciate everything you've done for me over the last uh, six, seven years I've known you. Um, where can people find your stuff still if your website's gone now? Uh, I'm probably most active on, on my Instagram. That's where I enjoy uh, having interactions with people. If you're going there for serious mental health advice, i got to warn you, I spend 80% of my time just taking the piss and trolling people. But I'm on Instagram, Richard Granning. Okay, guys, I'll put the links below. Thanks, you, Richard, for your time. And we'll speak soon. Take care. Cheers, mate. Take care. But I'm unapologetically fly. I don't wonder why. That's just my attitude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, hey, that's just my... Uh.